Hey, what's up, everybody? Chris Hollifield here. I want to personally welcome you to a brand new episode of the I Am Salt Lake podcast. If this is your first time joining us on the podcast, we're here every week showcasing awesome people in Salt Lake City and the surrounding areas. We're talking to business owners, authors, tattoo artists, restaurant owners, breweries, distilleries. We're giving you a taste of the city. If you have an awesome story, we're going to probably showcase it here on the podcast. Our website, this one's really easy to remember, IamSaltLake.com. The cool thing is you can go there and listen to the entire back catalog. All the episodes are up there. You can listen to them really easy to do as well as subscribe to the podcast. Hey, are you moving to Salt Lake City? Maybe you're listening to this podcast because you want to figure out what this city's all about. Are you looking at possibly moving into a house with a little more space in it because we're all working from home now? Well, in case you didn't know, you guys, I'm a licensed realtor now, and I'd love to uh, show you some homes. I'd love to show you uh, possibly your dream home, help you find a place to call your own. Uh, You can give me a call, shoot me a text anytime. I'd love to help you, 801-244-2908. But otherwise, let's get into the podcast. This This is a good one, you guys. Thanks for listening. I want to start right at the beginning, uh, giving even the listeners a little bit of a base of of like what a rabbi even is, how one becomes a rabbi. Let's start there. Sure. I think it would so, be probably a good place to start there. I think what a lot of people don't expect is that a rabbi is much like any other job or profession or ambition that you'll have, you know, growing up, you, know, you, you go to school, you get a degree, uh, and you find a community or, or an organization or a synagogue that wants to hire you. I mean, it's like, just like becoming any other profession that kids aspire to, or that people can see in the professional world today. Uh, and so, yeah, you, you know, you, you serve your congregation, you provide for them in whatever means or ways they're looking for. I think what's unique about the Chabad model, the organization that I'm privileged to work for is we have a very outreach, outreach based model. So when a lot of people think about a rabbi or, you know, like you mentioned, Chris, a, a, a priest or a bishop, they think of someone, you know, very spiritual who spends most of their day, you know, in very godly pursuits. And there's a lot of prayer and a lot of study, which is a large part of what we do because of our very outreach based model. There's a lot of, you know, different things going on in addition to all the spiritual pursuits. And so we're out and about bringing Judaism to as visible a level as possible, encountering people in as many varieties of ways as possible. And as, you know, the world continues to evolve, that takes on a lot of different possibilities and a lot of different meanings and a lot of different opportunities. And so, yeah, it's it's a lot like leaders of other faiths. It's a lot like a lot of the other colleagues in the clergy that I have here in town. It's definitely got its own twist. So when did you decide to become a rabbi? I mean, or was that something you grew up at? Like as, as a child, you were like, I want to be a rabbi when I get older. Great question. So my dad is a rabbi. Okay. He's still a practicing rabbi. Here, in, Here in Salt Lake City, he started the synagogue that I now work for almost 30 years ago. Okay. Um, and so it was something which I was exposed to from a very, very young age. You know, he definitely brought his work home with him. And, and I think that's incredible. And, and it gave me an appreciation for the lifestyle that he and my mom chose to live and the way they chose to devote themselves to a community and to serve so selflessly. It really appealed to me from a young age. And I know that for a lot of kids growing up in certain, in certain situations, some kids it really talks to, some kids it really doesn't talk to. Um, I, I guess I was just in that first category and it really kind of appealed to me that whole lifestyle. And so when I had that opportunity to kind of jump in on my own, that's what I did. Do you have siblings? I do. I'm the oldest of six. And uh, I mean, did any of them? So I've got get two. Bro- into, I, like- I've got two brothers who, I, as I like to joke, they have real jobs. Okay. Uh, you know, one is working in real estate. The other one is in digital marketing. Both of them live back east. Uh, my sister is married to a rabbi. They run a synagogue down in St. George. Okay. And then I've got two younger siblings who are still trying to figure out what they want to do in life. But you know, I, I think it's important that people realize that it's not kind of this yoke placed upon you. Like, you know, there's the rabbi and all his kids become rabbis and now their kids become rabbis. And until rabbis populate the earth, you know, we're just going to kind of go on that. You know, we were raised in a pretty relatively open-minded house, whatever we wanted to do with our lives, whatever would bring us happiness and meaning and purpose and fulfillment. We were welcome to pursue that path. I'm excited for this episode to be released because a lot of people listen to this episode or this podcast that they're moving to Utah. They're moving to Salt Lake City. They're moving to the area 
And so hopefully, I mean, who knows, maybe this will even help, uh, someone, you know, uh, that's Jewish moving to, to Utah. I mean, how many synagogues are there here in Utah? Salt Lake city is a lot to choose from. I mean, well, (laughs) you know know, what I like to say, it's bigger than a lot of people imagine and smaller than a lot of people imagine. And it has that ability to kind of have a foot in both worlds. There are two synagogues in Salt Lake city. There are two synagogues in park city. There's one that's kind of active up in Ogden and there's one down in St. George. Two though. Two I mean, is that City. because there's so many people? There's, or there's different faith, big enough community, different like offshoots, or how does that different branches of Judaism? Branches, let's just call yeah, it yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, different. I guess you know levels of practice or okay. of observance. And Salt Lake City is big enough to sustain two communities. Okay. Um, the, um, I mean, as far as our plans and projections go, we hope to be opening a synagogue down in Utah County in the next couple of years. Uh, if you're listening to this and you're moving to Utah, there's a good chance you're probably moving to Utah County as opposed to Salt Lake County. Just the way the growth is kind yeah. of stacking up. I think that a lot of people, it's interesting. I think this is kind of a difference in perception between locals and non-locals or people who aren't yet locals. I think a lot of people here, like, you know, the Jewish community in Salt Lake City, they're like, oh my God, does that even exist? Like, you know, if I'm Jewish and I'm moving to Salt Lake City, like, are there four of us in the whole state or five or 10? Uh, and I think when I meet locals here in town, like we were chatting off the air, like, you know, yeah, Jewish in Salt Lake City. Oh yeah, this guy's Jewish in Salt Lake City and that guy's Jewish in Salt Lake City. So I think locals get a sense that like, you know, being Jewish in Salt Lake is not, it's not that bizarre. It's not that rare. It's not that uncommon. And I think as more and more people move in and the community really strengthens itself, I think that perception will kind of spread throughout, you know, throughout the rest of the Jewish world and the wider population as well, that there is a community in Salt Lake City. It's, it's a good place to be a Jew. So what does a normal day look like for you then? What do you do day to day? As a rabbi. So there's a lot of that, which varies specifically. uh, My wife and I run uh, a preschool and now a kindergarten and first grade. And so there's, you know, my wife is teaching every day. There's a lot of hands-on activities, you know, as as it pertains to the day-to-day management. Obviously the busiest days of the week for us, or the busiest day I should say is Saturday. So, you know, for us, our, our, our busiest 24 hour period is Friday at sundown until Saturday at nightfall. So that's when the bulk of our synagogue services are taking place. We're having people over for Friday night dinner, for Saturday afternoon lunch. Uh, there's a lot of Jewish activity that goes on in those. And this is every, every week, every single week. Wow. Uh, so you, I mean, a lot of people, when they go to church, they just go for a couple hours. I mean, so it's a, it's a big, the services thing. itself are, you know, two, three hours long yeah. on, on Saturday morning, an hour on Friday night, but it's a pretty all encompassing. But I love atmosphere. it. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a committed life. We just wrapped up a month of the Jewish holidays, which was pretty action packed. You know, there was always something going on from September 6th all the way through September 30th. It was, it was pretty nonstop. And again, you know, going back to the point I made earlier, it's very multifaceted. So, you know, what are we doing for the Jewish holidays? Well, we're having services at the synagogue and we're having people over for lunch in our home and we're blowing the shofar, you know, the, the ram's horn associated with the new year at a street corner in Liberty Park. And on the holiday where we complete the reading of the Torah of the Bible, we're dancing out on 11th East and the cops come and shut down the street for us every year. And so, you know, I think a lot of people envision this almost, you know, hermit-like life, you know, very, very isolated and insulated. It's very much not like that. It's, it's, it's a large part of the philosophy that we deal with. Today, I spent 45 minutes on the phone with the jazz. We are, every year we've done a menorah lighting at the arena uh, during, if there's a home game during the week of Hanukkah, which there is this year. And so we're organizing a menorah lighting that'll be seen by 18,000 people. You know, it's, it's, uh, it is. And, and, and I think it gives people a lot of different opportunities to engage with their faith, with their heritage, wherever it is they're at in life. This episode is sponsored by Lifelong Learning at the University of Utah. Lifelong is here to help you find a new hobby, explore an interest, and turn your curiosity into a passion. With more than 150 classes every term in arts and crafts, photography and digital media, performing arts, writing, culinary arts, home and garden, wellness and relationships, current events, and a new subject, Explore Utah. Classes are online and in person, and new classes start every week, all year long, so it is easy to find something that fits your schedule. Most classes meet in the evenings or on weekends, and there are one-shot classes that meet once, others that go for multiple weeks. So if you just want to dip your toe in the water or take a deep dive, Lifelong has something for you. I'm even teaching a class this term called Podcasting and Introduction 
So if you have a great idea for a podcast, I'll show you my process and what I've learned along the way. For a limited time, I Am Salt Lake listeners can get $5 off a lifelong learning class. All you have to do is enter the promo code IAMSALTLAKE, all one word, all caps, enter it at checkout, and you can find your new passion at lifelong.utah.edu. Again, enter the promo code IAMSALTLAKE. Again, that's all caps. It's going to give you $5 off a lifelong learning class. Head on over to lifelong.utah.edu. And many thanks to the Lifelong Learning at the University of Utah for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. I didn't realize there was so much um, so much activity here in Utah, and that's awesome. It, I mean, has, is. It, has it always been... I mean, look, when my... Like that for you? Because you grew up here. I grew so. up here. When my parents moved here in 92, I think they knew of about... 2,500 Jews in the state. And so I'm sure it was hard. There was pushback. It was you were the kid that kids wouldn't play with you, yeah. I'm sure. I mean, look, I I had a pretty, you know, let's, let's put it all out there, pretty strange childhood in a certain sense. We yeah. were homeschooled and not like- homes- I was homeschooled. Oh, there you go. Okay. So, yeah. you know, it's funny because now I talk to people who are homeschooled through COVID yeah. and now homeschooled means a great number of things, right? Because like, was, you know- I was kind of the more religious homeschooled. I was, and I, yeah. when I was homeschooled, yeah. it was homeschooled. Yeah. Like, you know, there was no Zoom and there yeah. was no breakout rooms. Yeah. It was, you know, there was a bedroom in the house, which was a classroom and it was homeschooled. Yeah. Like there was not a lot of open to interpretation. So yeah, I, I had a weird social life growing up. Uh, that's, you know, for better or for worse, that's the way it was. It's that, you know, my kids go to school in Salt Lake City. Those were opportunities that I did not have. As a kid, they're, you know, they have classmates. They, you know, they're, they're in school or in a classroom six and a half hours a day, which did were, you do that because you didn't want to homeschool them? Uh, no, we did that because we, we now have the opportunity to open a school. When I was growing up in, oh, okay, in, in the okay. early nineties, there wasn't the infrastructure in place to sustain a Jewish school, which there is now, which is awesome, I got which you, is I incredible. Got and so, you know, yes, that reality has evolved and it continues to evolve. And so, um, you know, we live in Salt Lake City. We're aware of the fact that the growth that we're going through as a city and as a state is just off the chains, is, you know, is, is out of control right now. And so I, I think the Jewish community is seeing that reality as well. You know, as a lot of people move into town, there a percentage of those are Jews and the community is growing. The needs are growing. The realities are growing. The opportunities are growing. And we're just, you know, proud to be along for that ride. If I decided to, you know, turn to Judaism, if I decided to convert to Judaism, is that something one can do? So it's definitely something one can do. It is not something that we promulgate. So I think when we talk about an outreach-based model, Judaism or the, the, the brand of Judaism that we practice, observant Judaism, does not believe in proselytization. So, okay. you know, we believe that Judaism is the best possible thing to enhance the lives of Jews, and we're sure. there to provide that for them. We also believe that people who aren't Jewish have a super unique role to play in making the world a better place. And so there's a value system that we seek to instill for all of humanity to abide by. We believe that non-Jews have the same responsibility and the same opportunity to make the world a better place, just as Jews do through a different level of, you know, or a different number, I should say, of observances, of customs, of, of, of things to do. So if someone deeply and passionately wants to convert to Judaism, there is that opportunity. That reality does exist. Judaism is a system that accepts converts quite welcomingly, if I might add. Um, however, we don't believe that that's kind of our end-all be-all to, to turn the whole world into Jewish people. We believe that you. our end-all be-all is to turn the world into a more godly abode. And there's a way for Jews to go about that. And there's a way for non-Jews to go about that. But it's really about everyone kind of finding their niche in that in that vision. On your Instagram, you're, you're also involved in more than just being a rabbi. Uh, like I saw on your Instagram that you were nominated to serve on the Utah Crime Victims Council. I mean, talk about this and what you're doing with them with that. So in addition to one full-time career that I have, I, yeah. I get to balance two full-time careers, which is, in all seriousness, it's an incredible honor. I'm a victim of child sexual abuse. Um, that's been a very, very large part of my life over the past almost three years since I came forward publicly. Um, and having been through both the, the abuse as a child and then having gone through the criminal justice system as an adult, once I decided to report, uh, it's given me somewhat of a unique perspective on, on, on some ideas. And so one of the opportunities that has recently come up is to serve on the crime victims council and to, and to be a voice for victims of crime and, you know, being a victim of a crime is not usually something that people 
you know, wear on their sleeve. You know, if, if, if it's been a less violent crime, you know, if you were mugged in the street or you're the victim of financial fraud or whatever, like, you know, that's not really, you know, something to talk about. And if it's, God forbid, a larger crime, you know, usually we, we hold our traumatic events pretty close to the vest. Um, I made the choice to, to, you know, to, to heal in a more public manner. And so it's given me the opportunity to have a voice or to be a voice for a society, for a community that, that doesn't feel like they really have a voice that really often feels like they've kind of been doomed to live in the shadows to a certain extent. And it's an incredible honor. It, it really is to kind of be able to, or to try and, and speak up for, for that community and for that segment of humanity has been a really, really, you know, for lack of a term, a really big treat to really feel like you can make a difference in that regard. How can, I mean, can listeners get involved with that? I mean, is with the that, Crime Victims Council? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the meetings are open to the public. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a body, it's a committee that was appointed by the legislature. You know, it's our, our business is the people's business. And yeah. I think you can, you know, nowadays our meetings are on zoom. I think people can definitely sure. tune in. I, you know, as, as the, the meetings that I've gone to, there's, there's places for the general public to sit. Um, and you know, we were making recommendations to the legislature, to various bodies, how to set up our systems in a way that people who have gone through pain and adversity once shouldn't have to do that again. I'll have to look into that because that just means. seems like that will be something that, uh, be good to get involved in. Absolutely. So you were, you were mentioning, uh, how you were a sexual violence survivor and I actually got to listen to, uh, you were on another podcast where you talked about, I forgot the name of the podcast. Uh, you posted it on your Instagram. You probably there. You've probably been on a few. There's podcasts, been a couple, yeah. actually. I don't even know how to get into this because I mean, is this, this isn't topic. every day that a rabbi comes out and talks about this. I mean, was that hard for you to do that? So I'm sure it was hard. It was, yeah, it was hard. Let's let's you know, let's let's answer that one. That was a pretty easy question. It was definitely yeah. hard. That stigma, right? That kind of perception of, you know, this, this doesn't happen to rabbis was definitely something which I felt was, you know, a challenge for me. And, and it really motivated me to want to talk about it. And, you know, one of the, one of the little episodes that I, you know, like to recount whenever I talk about this is before I came forward publicly, I disclosed to one of my teachers in rabbinical school that this had happened. Just kind of a disclaimer, and I don't mean to sound like a jerk, but I was a pretty good student. Like, you know, I wasn't, I was, I was top of my class. You know, I was someone who was making it as a young person. And I disclosed to someone that I had been very close to, a mentor of mine, a teacher of mine, that this was in my past. And I remember, you know, he was like quiet for a full minute and he blurts out, he says, this is not what I expected. And that was very profound for me because it reinforced for me this reality that, you know, you know who we expect on a certain level to be survivors of sexual violence, people who are really struggling, you know, and, and we almost use that as an excuse in society. Like, you know, oh my God, you know, what's going on with this and this, you know, they were at the bar super late and they just got dumped by their boyfriend or their girlfriend, you know, oh, oh, I know what's wrong. They're a survivor. And, and, and that's where they're kind of doomed to live. Like they're, they're never allowed to grow as a human. Right. And they're doomed to like live this dysfunctional life. And like, right. you know, and we have that stigma in society that if you're a survivor of sexual violence, most likely, most likely, you know, you're having a tough go at it. I feel like that beyond the fact that that's inaccurate and unfair on any number of levels, I think that that makes it impossible for people who are at least from an outside perspective, not struggling to feel welcomed in their own reality. Because I think that there's this concern out there, like, you know, if I want to come forward, but I don't want to be lumped in, you know, I don't want, you know, the immediate expectation to be, oh my God, you know, this guy, this person went through, you know, this traumatic episode, they're probably off their meds right now. Like, you know, they're probably a little kooky. You know, I wanted to come out and say, look, I'm a rabbi, I'm a communal leader, I'm, I'm a man. <laughs> and, and, and all these things which don't usually lump you into that category. And yet this is my truth. And if you, you as a society are not you know, in a place where you're welcome to acknowledge that this is happens to everybody and anybody, then we've got a ways to go. All right. We're going to take just a minute of your time now and talk about one of our awesome sponsors, utahmarijuana.org. I love talking about them, but remember when you support our sponsors like utahmarijuana.org, you're directly supporting this podcast. And hey, your health. And your health. Yeah. Hey, utahmarijuana.org is your number one spot for all things medical marijuana, medical cannabis, CBD, and THC. I don't know if you guys remember way back on episode 420, we had Tim Pickett on the podcast. We talked about medical cannabis here in Utah. 
We talked about utahmarijuana.org. Well, now he's a sponsor of the podcast. Anyways, utahmarijuana.org's team of medical cannabis experts, they're going to make getting your medical cannabis card super easy from your first office visit to navigating the state card application and beyond. It is so true, you guys. They are the most helpful medically I have ever been. You know how you want to go to the doctor and you're like, I don't even know what doctor to go to or what to say. These guys are incredible. They have over 20 compassionate and highly skilled qualified medical providers ready to help you find relief. So you won't have to search for a doctor willing to recommend cannabis treatment. The patient experience at utahmarijuana.org is dedicated to helping you get all the way through the process so you can get your medicine legally and stay up to date. And right now, they're offering an exclusive discount to I Am Salt Lake listeners. Just use the code GREEN25 for $25 off your first visit. I did. It was great. And depending on where you're located in the Valley, they have a clinic location just for you. Go to utahmarijuana.org. Check it out. They're going to list it right there. They have uh, location clinics from like Provo to Bountiful to Salt Lake, West Valley. Uh, Go check it out. And like Chrissy said, there's a promo code. Green 25, this is going to give you $25 off your first visit. And it's also going to tell them that you came from I Am Salt Lake and that you're a supporter of this show and that you're down to support this show and you're down for uh, medical cannabis. So anyways, down for your health. Hey, isn't it time that you took control of your own health? UtahMarijuana.org. Feel better. Do you think therapy helped with that? I mean, do you think that if you wouldn't have gone, then you would have never been able to get through all of that? Without question. Without question. Because I know a lot of people even probably listening are like, oh, therapy doesn't work. I shouldn't go to therapy. You know, it's funny. Today is Tuesday. Yeah. I had therapy this morning. Okay. Uh, it's every other Tuesday, Tuesday, you know, twice, you know, twice a month, Tuesday mornings. And this morning I dropped off my kids for school and I, you know, usually I take them in and bring them to the classroom this morning. I kind of just drop them at the front door. And I said to whoever was there, I said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm in a rush. I've got, a, I've got an appointment. And I don't know why that person has like, oh, where are you going? I guess make conversation in the morning. I said, oh, I'm on my way to therapy. And that person blushed. You know, whoever asked me where I was going blushed when I said therapy. I get a kick out of that. It's like it's a dirty thing. I get right? a kick like out of that. Or... You know, yes, I go to therapy. I, there's a while I was going to therapy every week. Thank God things, you know, sorted themselves out to a point now it's every other week. And I go to therapy. And it, it absolutely, it saved my life. And it's, you know, something which is first and foremost on the lists of things which keep me sane and normal and a great husband and a great dad and a good rabbi and just a great human being as, as much as I can be. I, I don't know why so many people still can't get over that bridge. And, and, and it's still so stigmatized. It's remarkable to me. It really is. And I don't have a good answer for that. I think it's changing. It is. It blessedly is. It really, really is. And, and and I see that change specifically amongst men, which I'm delighted, delighted to see. And and look, you know, I, I can talk about the way this person reacted to my saying I was going to therapy. I have to be honest, up until two years ago, I wouldn't have said that. I would have said, oh, uh, uh, podiatrist appointment. Like, you know, I got to go see uh, <laughs> see a man about a dog. Like, you know. Yeah, I know. Right. I got what you mean. Right. But and, and so I've changed in that sense. I have to give myself credit for evolving and, I, and, and, and the world is evolving as well. Sure. But it's still, it's just, it's remarkable to me that we, you know, that that's still something which people bump up against. So it sounds like you didn't go willingly then. The first time, no. No, not at all. Not by a long shot. Is it because you felt like I'm not crazy, nothing's wrong with me, or was it I'm embarrassed because I'm going to a therapist? For me, it was, I don't get how this thing is supposed to work. Okay. Right. For me, it was a lot of, so so I've got issues. I mean, so bear in mind, Chris, before I went the first time, I, I didn't. I hadn't told anybody about the abuse in my past and I certainly hadn't really come to terms with it or not by a long shot. And so for me, it's okay. So explain to me how this works. So, so these bad things happened to me as a kid and I'm going to sit in someone's couch and, and talk and he'll talk and I'll talk and I'll feel better. How does that work? Like what, where does the talking help? Like, you know, want to give me meds, give me meds. You know, you want to give me books to read, give me books to read. Sure. Like where does the talking come in? And there were a few realities that I came to accept, that I came to understand as I grew through this process. Number one, it's not that bad things happened to me in my past and, and those bad things somehow dissolve through speech. I struggle to ment- with a mental illness. You know, you go through traumatic events enough times, you have a diagnosable mental illness and that mental illness needs treatment. 
Uh, that mental illness needs certain realities for you to implement in your life to deal with those mental illnesses as you would a physical illness. And so therapy is not about talking. I mean, yes, there's sure obviously a lot of talking in therapy and there's, you know, every therapist has their, has their magical potion, you know, of, of various different, you know, psychiatric treatments, but it's about figuring out. It's about really digging deep, realizing what has actually happened to you, realizing where you have the ability to grow from that, to make changes in that, where you need outside help, be that medication or, or, or whatever it is, whatever medical methods you need for this treatment and, and healing. It's really about healing and, and growing as a human being from an illness that you've been struggling with. Where do you think you'd be if you never got into therapy? In denial, in a heck of a lot of pain. Yeah. I would probably be putting a lot of people through that pain. You know, the thing about pain is that when we can't carry it on our own, we sometimes willingly, sometimes unwillingly just dish it out and we kind of spread the, spread the pain around to, to make it more manageable. And so I would probably be using any number of other coping mechanisms that people who are in a lot of pain resort to, yeah. whatever that is. Well, it sounds like you were already doing that if your wife was saying, hey, go to therapy. And she had no idea what was even wrong with yeah. you, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But I, so she could tell something more. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's like, that's the part which I think people, you know, really need to realize is so many people are in pain. Yeah. And so many people are struggling. Everybody, we all, oh, oh, we all, absolutely. I, right. I'd be surprised if you 100%. weren't. 100%. And a lot of people are like, oh, but- but if I put on this good of a show, then what? Uh, you know, the rest of humanity is not stupid. The rest of humanity is not blind. You know, if you are exerting that much effort to put on this mask to, to hide the pain and to hide this unbearable suffering, it manifests itself. Yeah. You can't escape that. And so instead of spending all that energy on trying to escape the truest version of yourself, just acknowledge it and, and go with it and, and grow from it and heal from it. And I think a lot about that, you know, how long, how much pain did I unnecessarily take on that could have been alleviated or could have been minimized by dealing with the issues earlier. And, and, and I think that's, you know, something which really motivates me to help people get the help that they need earlier in the game. You know, every day that a person is saved from that frustration every week, that they're not passing that along and manifesting that to the other people in their family is just a blessing for so many people. How do you, I mean, what are some ways that we can help for other people? I mean, I guess just be there for other people. I mean, listen to what they're saying. I mean, is cause again, a lot of times people are, they don't want to admit they're going to therapy or they don't want to go to therapy or they don't want to even talk about, Hey, you know what? My brain might not be working right. So, so how can we be there for other people? I think that there's really two answers to that question. Yeah. One is the simple one, right? Yeah. You know, one is if you see someone who's down on their luck, who's really going through a rocky patch, you know, call, always call. You know, my, my attitude in life is if you're not sure if you should call or not or text or not text, like, you know, and even if that text is, hey, I just want to put myself out there. You know, if there's anything I could do to help you out, always send that text. I don't know of a single person who has ever spiraled out of control because too many people cared about them. Like, you know, I, I've never, I personally, I've never heard of someone who's like, oh my God, another guy texted me to find out if he can help. Like, this is too much. Like, you know, we know the opposite to be true. And so always, always make that call. Always send that yeah. text if you can. More importantly, there was a remarkable conversation that I had about a year ago with someone who was a survivor of a suicide attempt. Uh, they tried to take their own life and they, after you know, after their attempt, uh, a number of their friends came to see them. They had heard what had happened. They, they had sustained a few injuries in the attempt. And so they came to kind of pay a, a wellness visit. And a number of this young woman's friends said to her, you know, oh my God, why didn't you call? Why didn't you say anything if you were struggling? If we would have known that that's where you were, we would have come over. Like, you know, th there's a lot of that reality. In life. Sure. You know, we had no idea. So the young woman bravely shared with her friends that about two weeks before, uh, they had been walking home from school. This is in a neighborhood in New York City. They'd been walking home from school, and on the other side of the street, they saw another girl from the school who was walking home from school, just the opposite, you know, other side of the other side of the block. And that girl was going through something mentally, emotionally, whatever, you know, was clearly struggling. And a number of this young woman's friends in front of her began making some less than complimentary comments about this young woman on the other side of the street. Yeah. You know, she's a little crazy. She's on pills, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I mocked her mental health state openly. 
without realizing that the friend who was walking in between them on their side of the street was, was very much in the same boat. So this young woman turns to her friends two weeks later and says, you know, you want to know why I didn't fall back on this welcoming and loving community that you're fostering. Why would I have done that if I heard you guys to my face mocking that other girl? What would I have come to expect had I shared my realistic status in life with you guys? Yeah. So when we talk about, you know, what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? I think so much of it has to do with the subconscious. What kind of aura do we build around us? What kind of community do we build around us subconsciously? The comments we make, the, the way we think, the way we speak about certain issues, the off-cuff comments that, you know, that our friends are overhearing and our family is overhearing and people close to us are overhearing without us even realizing what sort of world are we building around us. And then we got social media. And then you got social media where everything is just amplified and yeah. everyone, everyone has a soapbox yeah, all of a yeah. sudden. Right. Especially Facebook. Right. I don't know if you get on Facebook at all. Holy well, yeah, that's, I was off yesterday. It was very relaxing. That's toxic, but, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, but uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, there was an incredible study that I saw just about a week ago and there's a lot of controversy around, you know, how Instagram you know, let, let me be, let me be totally fair. I love Instagram. Yeah. I'm on Instagram a lot. You know, you're on Instagram a lot. You know, it's a great tool. I get kicks out of it, you know, highly entertaining. I'm not, I'm not here to shut down Instagram. There is some pretty shocking data around how so much of our society's issues with body shaming, with young women really, really struggling with their identity because of this perception around how they're supposed to look and how they want to look is contributed to by social media. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying this is anybody in particular's fault. You know, I, I don't think Mark Zuckerberg is sitting up in his ivory tower <laughs> hoping that young women end their lives because of their body, body image issues. I really, I don't believe it's nefarious, but it's a reality. And it probably wasn't even his idea when he started. The, that, you know. That's likely true. Right. Yeah. And, and, and again, it's, it's a societal issue that's, that's seeped into our subconscious that we all need yeah. to address. You know, when we create a society where, you know, everyone's sharing their pictures and they look so gorgeous. And we live in this world where like, you know, it's all about appearance and it's all about optics and it's all about, you know, promoting a version of self that is just as perfect and blemish free and filtered and, and touched up in every way. What does that do for all the people that aren't there? Yeah. And what kind of world does that condemn them almost to live in? And, and I think it's really about the subconscious. I couldn't agree more, man. What do you do on those mornings that you don't, you don't want to get out of bed? You're just like, I'm not, I don't, I'm staying in bed today. I'm not motivated to face the world. I stay in bed. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, on Sunday I was at an incredible place. There's a place up in Farmington called the Red Barn Academy. Okay. Um, they're affiliated with the other side Academy down in Salt Lake. They have the moving company. You may have we had them on the podcast. You had the other side on the podcast. Yeah. There you go. So I was up at the Red Barn, uh, talking to the guys up there. It was an okay. incredible experience. Just some amazing, amazing guys up there and the way they've really chosen to live their life's journeys. And so one of them asked me this question, uh, Sunday morning, not 72 hours ago. And he says, you know, what do you do when you have hard days? And I think, you know, in a certain sense, you expect the answer to be, oh my God, I read a book and then I put on my cape and then I, <laughs> I don't have bad days. Like yeah, hundred affirmations. I said, I said, you know what? I, uh, when I have bad days, I, I have bad days. I, 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 I don't run from that. You know, I don't, I don't force myself to live in a world where I can't have bad days. So on those mornings where I, you know, want to stay in bed, if the circumstances allow, I'll stay in bed. And if I've got to take my kids to school or whatever, I'll, I'll do that because, you know, I owe them that. And then I'll take some time off. I will go, uh, you know, go to Starbucks and not just order the coffee, but sit there and, and drink the coffee and allow my my mind to take me wherever it needs to go and allow my day to take the take the course that it needs to. Because, you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to fight it. If you fight a bad day, it'll likely come back the next day with a vengeance. And, you know, it, it'll claim it's due at a certain point. And I think life is not about aiming not to have bad days. Life is about having a realistic plan what to do when you have those bad days. And I think that's so much of what, you know, anyone's life journey is really about. It's not about running from the adversity. It's about figuring out yeah. how to give it its 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 play in your life. And so day, on, on when I'm when I'm set up to have a bad day, I acknowledge, you know, oh, there's a lot going on. I'm probably having a bad day. That's okay. It's okay for me to have a bad day. You know, the, the world will go on without me. It, it'll be fine. And I'll, I'll, you know, engage in a little bit of self-care and I'll do whatever I got to do. And um, hopefully tomorrow will be better.
self-care is something that more people need to do. Yeah. I mean, I don't think enough of us do I agree. self-care. I agree. You know, I, or even back to mental health days at work. I mean, I remember I've had jobs and it was, it was nice that people finally were starting to call in, not just sick. Hey, I need a mental health day. You know, goes back to that self-care, you know, Hey, nothing wrong with that. I agree with that. And and again, I think it's, it's, it's so much of it is about changing things on a societal level. Yeah. Right. You know, do we live in a world where it's acceptable for you to call your boss? And, and I'm not saying from a corporate perspective, you know, yeah. does your company award you mental health days? Do you feel like you work in an environment where you can call your boss and say, you know, Hey, Hey bud, like I need the day off. Is everything okay? Everything's okay. I just really need the day off. You know, whether the company will allow that or not is a very different conversation than do you feel like you have the ability to do that? Are you going to, are you going to feel put down, insecure, whatever it is for having that conversation? And as a society, we're growing as a society, more and more people are coming to understand that. Yeah. Uh, I think we live in a world and we're very fortunate to live in a world where we saw that just now at the highest level um, at the Olympics you know, where you have a young woman, you know, this one of the most legendary gymnasts of all time and someone who is expected to absolutely dominate the competition in Tokyo took a day off. And, and, and she didn't just take a day off. She took off the Olympics, you know, were her mental health days because she needed to. And I think a lot of people voice their opinions about, you know, Simone Biles taking off those meets in the Olympics and then turn around and wonder why we live in such a toxic society. You know, here's a case of a young woman who, and I think we look at, you know, these, these gold medalists, you know, Simone Biles has got to be in her forties. Like, you know, she's been doing this forever and she's won 97 gold medals. Simone Biles is a young woman in her twenties. You know, Simone Biles is an, is an, is someone who has accomplished more in her 20 something years than I'll accomplish in 42 lifetimes, but she's also growing. She's also yeah. someone who's got her, her good days and her bad days. And she took a day off. And I think that if we really want to grow as a society, we have to look at how we responded to that. We need to uh, shift directions a little bit. We've got a few Salt Lake City questions I ask Go everybody that comes on here. So, of course, we got to ask you, family and friends visit, right? They come into town. They're coming from out of state. They're flying in. They're here for the weekend. They're say, all right, we're getting in your car. Give me the tour. Show me around Salt Lake City. And when I say Salt Lake City tour, the valley, I mean, even Park City or, or you know, uh, Lake Ogden, wherever. Mm. I went out. Okay, so I'm going to have to give you a very recent version of this answer. A couple weeks ago, we did a retreat at Bear Lake. Okay. I want to say one of the nicest parts of the state I've yeah. been to. That's not, you know, people flying in for the weekend, you know, give no, us the quick tour. It's a it, two-hour, 20-minute drive. Yeah, Bear Lake it works, was, though. Was, in, was incredible. Uh, my Salt Lake City spots um, year-round is right above the Capitol. Uh, you know, I think people don't realize... What a nice city, Salt Lake City is. I think people, a lot of people think we live like in an Aspen ski town where there's like, you know, mountains and a few lodges and like some cabins. Yeah. Like we have a gorgeous city and just this gorgeous skyline at night. And I think that's remarkable. Uh, big skier, not a snowboarder. Um, so you get out and ski? I get out and ski every winter. Um, Icon Pass kind of guy. Love me some Brighton, um, Deer Valley when it's a quieter day. It's just absolutely breathtaking. I've got a sister down in St. George. Uh, getting de- getting out there to visit is, I mean, God's country out there. Just the color and, and, and everything else down there is remarkable. Park City, I think, is deeply underrated during the summer. Uh, I think a lot of people think of Park City as a ski town. Uh, you get up there, it's perpetually 82 degrees and the air is gorgeous. And there's some great hikes up in Park City. Uh, I, look, I think we live in the best town in the world. And I think there's a lot to offer. And I love bringing people out here. What do you think of all the people moving here? I I think it's a compliment. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's a, look, I live in sugar house. Yeah. Like, you so know, everybody wants to move. There, I, I live, I live right now in a neighborhood where over the summer, like if, if you were putting the for sale sign in your lawn, somehow people heard the jingling and like you know, people were showing up like, don't put it in. I'm going to buy it for you for cash right now, right here. A hundred thousand yeah, over. Exactly. And so, um, I think it's a compliment. Yeah, I, it is. There are certain traffic realities that I've had to deal with over the past 12 to 18 months that. Like, forget growing up here as a kid. I didn't have to deal with two years ago. Like, you know, which is, which is strange. Like, you know, if I've got to go run an errand at four or five o'clock, I've got to tack on, granted, I got to tack on seven minutes to, you know, to whatever I was planning on doing, which isn't the end of the world. I lived in Brooklyn for a year where, you know, you can't go to the corner store without getting stuck in traffic, but it's, it's unusual. For Utah. Yeah. Yeah. It's unusual for Utah. I think that it's probably only going to get 
I'll say worse, but it's only going to continue along that route. And we're going to, you know, learn to adapt to that. And I love it, to be honest. I love, you know, the vibe that our little city is, is developing. I love the the scene, the nightlife, the the, the flavor. I, I'm, I'm all for it. What about favorite local eating spots? Do you have one or two favorites? So here's where I'm going to throw you a wrench. Due to my, a kosher diet, I don't really eat out. Okay. Yeah. There's one kosher spot that's open up in Park City during the winter. So eat there a lot. We're actually hoping, hoping to open a restaurant at the synagogue pretty soon. So I will become number one on my list as soon as that's open. But um, I can tell you some great places to grab a beer, but in terms of eating, I don't, I don't really eat out. Well, what is your favorite place to grab a beer? Okay. Um, I live down the block from Wasatch on 21st okay. South Highland Drive. Love that place. Um, the, some, a lot of the main street little, little haunts, um, are great. Uh, I, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of downtown Salt Lake city. Yeah. I think like, you know, I think there's so much of the stigma of like, you know, Oh my God, I want to go grab a drink in downtown Salt Lake. Like, yeah, heck let's do it. Like yeah. there's, there's a lot of great spots. Um, second South has got some great spots of, you know, have definitely been to yeah. your bar more than, you know, bar, more yeah. times than I, than Junior's I care to admit and- bar X. Um, yeah. and so, yeah, I'll, I will tell you a funny story kind of bringing a lot sure. of these realities in together. So my abuser went to trial. Um, November of 2019, there was one day where court was really, really stressful and they gave us a two hour lunch and it had been a really tough morning in court. And so I needed to just kind of walk and clear my head. So I left the Matheson courthouse, which is state street and about fourth South. I started walking through downtown Salt Lake and a couple blocks later, I end up in front of beer bar. I'm like, you know what? This is perfect. It's, you know, it's one o'clock in the afternoon. I've had a really long day so far. I'm going to go get a beer. So I walk into beer bar. It's empty and walked up to the counter and I get a beer and I'm sitting there having my beer. And, you know, I have to be back in court for like another 45 minutes. So I order another beer. And so this nice young woman from behind the counter comes over to me. She says, I'm sorry, sir, we have a rule here. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, like, and tell me that, you know, Salt Lake City used to have these really strict liquor laws. I can't get two beers during the day if I don't order food. She looks at me, she says, if you order two beers before 2 p.m., you have to tell us what's going on. <laughs> and I just cracked up. I said, you know what? If you really want to know what's going on, you might want to pull up a stool because it's, it's a long story you're getting yourself into. So we laughed about it and she came with the beer and that was it. But downtown Salt Lake City is a, is, is a cool little place. It's, yeah, it's it definitely is. got a, a local flavor. And it's it's growing a lot. It's I mean, awesome. And, and, and uh, for a while there, I mean, it kind of, you know, was dead. I, I remember back when the Olympics came and everything, you know, downtown was just like dead as a doornail. I remember going to jazz games. I was, I'm old enough to remember the 97, 98 finals, Yeah, just the buzz in the city. I remember going to games. I must've been eight or nine. So right after those finals teams, and we used to go to the game. We lived in Sugar House back then and we would drive home. And once you got past like seventh East, it was like driving in the wilderness. Yeah. Like uh, at nine 30 on a weeknight, there were no cars. Like there were barely street lamps. Like, you know, <laughs> it was just like, you know, you were in this ghost town USA and now, you know, you drive home after a game. Like, you know, you, you can't get out of town. There's so out of downtown. There's so much traffic and it's, I, I like it. Yeah. I like it. It's I, good for the city. It's good it's, for the city. It's a great place yeah. to live. It's still a great place to raise your kids. You know, heck it's got its issues like anywhere else. Yeah. Um, and, but I love it here. What would you change? Would you change anything about Salt Lake City or the area, the valley? Do a little different air quality. Yeah, uh, that's, that's one of the number one yeah, answers say, on this and, podcast. And, and, and you know what? What am I going to say? You know, rising housing prices, welcome to reality. Yeah. Like, you know, well, welcome to, to growing up as a city. What would I change in Salt Lake? Um, let's say, I mean, let's say you had a, you know, however you want to interpret that, whether it's a magical power or you were the mayor or. or would I change about Salt Lake? I'd love if the weather would develop a little bit more of a consistent pattern. Okay. So like, you know, we started fall this week. I think like next week it drops down to like, you know, the, the high forties, which means that I guarantee you the first week of November, it'll be the seventies again. Like, you know, we have <laughs> uh, what a lot of people refer to as, you know, fake, fake fall and fake spring. Yeah. It's a pain in the neck at times. Like, you know, I, I love if some of those patterns followed a little bit more consistency. I wouldn't mind that terribly just because it throws you off. But I love it here. Yeah, you don't know how to dress. You know, right. should I put a sweater yeah, you know, you on in the morning? Away and you're dry, you're yeah. Like, you know, your kids wake up. What are we supposed to put on for school today? Like, it's it could be frustrating, but. Talk about eating a kosher diet. Okay, because you, you mentioned you don't eat out a lot because you you eat kosher. And I mean, we see it. We go to the grocery store and you see it on the on the packaging. But I don't think most people really know what eating a kosher diet is. I mean, what, what's your diet like? It's a great question. So kosher 
is actually, if you think about it, is pretty straightforward, but it's very, it's pretty straightforward with a lot of far reaching impacts. But so, why couldn't you eat out? So, it? okay. So kosher means that, for example, that there's no pork or shellfish. There is no, you know, all the animals are kosher animals that are, the meat is ritually prepared in the right way. All the processed foods have those kosher certifications that you talked yeah. about. A lot of people don't realize 60% of the foods that you see at fill in the name of your grocery store, Smith's, Trader Joe's, Fresh Market, Harmon's, Macy's, whatever it is, are kosher certified. Okay. You know, most of your generic supermarket supermarket items are kosher certified. The problem is that it also needs to be, the food needs to be prepared in a kosher kitchen in order for it to retain its kosher status. So if you take kosher ingredients, whatever it is, you buy everything certified kosher and you go to the back of your local restaurant and prepare a kosher dish in a non-kosher kitchen, that kind of takes it out of that category. So, you know, I can't even go to a restaurant and have a salad with some vegetables because the knives that were used to prepare the vegetables and the bowls that it's being served in and whatever else, they're not kosher. They've been used for non-kosher foods. Okay. So once it's taken out of that status, it kind of stays out of that status. The biggest misconception about kosher, I think a lot of people think that kosher means it's been blessed. Yeah. You know, that a rabbi came and like, you know, waved his hands over the salad bowl and said, you know, hocus pocus, whatever it is. And that's just a rumor. That's just, that's not true. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, that, that's mythical. I always tell this story. I was once... I attended rabbinical college in England. So I, I flew yeah. quite a bit Salt Lake to London. And I was once on an international flight when they served meals back in the day. And I ordered a kosher meal. <laughs> Probably didn't charge you for didn't them charge you for that either. Could you imagine? Yeah. And I ordered a kosher meal, specialty yeah. meal. And so I'm sitting there on the plane and it was like, you know, we, I was sitting in the window. There's a window in aisle. There's just two seats next to each other. And so I ordered my kosher meal and the flight takes off and the stewardess comes by and she says, Rabbi, I'm really sorry. Or Rabbi, I was 17. Sir, I'm really <laughs> sorry. Um, you ordered a kosher meal. We don't have your kosher meal on board. And like, it was a long flight. I didn't pack any food. I'm like, oh my God, are you kidding me? No, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I said, you know, is there any like fruits or vegetables, like raw materials? Not really, blah, blah, blah. So my neighbor is sitting there and he gets super irritated. I have no idea who this guy is. And he says, he turns to me like totally just butts into the conversation. He says, I don't understand what your problem is. Like, why don't you just take one of the normal meals and bless it and make it kosher? So I wasn't going to like do this thing with this guy, like, you know, <laughs> a random stranger on the plane. So I thank the store. I'm like, okay, I'll eat my cookies for the flight and I'll whatever. Two minutes later, they come back. My neighbor had ordered a vegan meal and they go to my neighbor yeah. and they say, you know, Mr. Whatever, such and such, we're really sorry you ordered this vegan meal and it didn't make it on board. So he gets really frustrated. Oh my God, vegan. I need my vegan. I need that. And, you know, do you have, and he goes like, do you have fruits and vegetables? No, we don't. So I turned to him with just a hint of a smile on my face. I said, I don't understand what your problem is. Why don't you just take the regular chicken they're serving and bless it and make it vegan? <laughs> he didn't really appreciate my humor. But the point that I'm making <laughs> is you can't bless chicken and make it vegan. You can't bless non-kosher items and make them kosher. Either they are kosher or they're not. It's not a process of a rabbi coming and waving his hands magically over yeah. a food item. And that changes its status. Either See, it is, I always thought that. Yeah. That's the biggest misconception about kosher. And so, like, you know, people said like, you know, oh, rabbi, we didn't prepare any food for you, but you can bless it and we'll be okay. Like, no. Like, you know, I don't walk around town blessing food and, you know, and, and making it permissible. <laughs> oh, right? Seriously, like, you kosher know, for exactly you, kosher for you. Oprah. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'd say that's probably the biggest misconception about kosher. Wow. Well, if I learned something new today, now there you it know is. how to make a kosher dinner, Chris. There you Dude, go. that is, hey, I'm so glad. I, I wish Chrissy would have been able to sit in here with us and chat. I mean, uh, Lucy, our four-year-old, uh, for listeners wondering what happened to Chrissy. She was, she was supposed to be in here, but... Uh, Lucy pulled her away. Bedtime responsibilities. Yeah, well, you know, she's usually pretty good in the basement. You know, they the kids play down there and everything. But uh, is there anything you were hoping we'd talk about before we wrap this up? I mean, is there anything this we, was we awesome. didn't talk about that maybe you were wishing we would no, talk No, this about? was awesome. I, I I appreciate the opportunity. You know, I, I, I enjoy being a rabbi. I enjoy living in Salt Lake. I think it's a great opportunity to talk about all those realities coming together as one. And I, I really appreciate it. You're welcome, man. Hey, can, can anyone like visit your synagogue? Like, is that, is that something that's open to the public or not really? I mean, the synagogue is a pretty visible building. It's on 1100 yeah. East. Uh, 
as we're still kind of phasing back from COVID, uh, we are kind of keeping the the attendance at, yeah. you know, at services in particular limited to the community. We do a number of events in town. We're actually coming up on a super busy season that are absolutely not just open to the public, but we encourage the public to attend. There's an incredible course open to the wider public about anti-Semitism starting at the synagogue. Uh, we've got a week's worth of Hanukkah events at the end of November, beginning of December. Uh, we kick off the holiday at the state capitol, Sunday, November 28th. The governor comes out. The next night, we're at the arena celebrating the holiday with the jazz. Well, we'll have a very special guest lighting the menorah whose identity will be revealed pretty soon. And so, um, you know, these are awesome opportunities for people throughout Salt Lake and throughout the state or visitors to come and kind of get a sense and a, and a taste of what that's like. And we deeply encourage that. Is there like a website or social media or something that they can get connected, an email list? Um, most of the information that we have is on our website, jewishutah.com. Okay. Um, I, I post pretty religiously about whatever we have going on. People can find me on all all my social media channels at Utah Rabbi, U-T-A-H-R-A-B-B-I. Um, and you know I keep a pretty robust list of things going on over there. And yeah, we, we really encourage people to kind of, you know, widen their palate in a certain sense. Try things they've never tried before and, and give it a shot. So cool. Well, I can't urge listeners enough to connect with you. I'll put the links at IamSaltLake.com with this episode as well. So if somebody's driving or running or, or walking the dog and they can't, you know, go on there, totally. then hit that link. Uh, Chrissy usually asks a final question, everybody that comes here. So she usually asks it. So I'm going to ask it. She asks, can you leave the listeners with a motto or piece of life advice? I would, I would encourage your listeners, whatever religion they practice, whatever faith group they belong to, whatever has been part of their life until now or, or not, to always try and leave the world a little more godly than they found it. And I think that, you know, godly is a pretty broad term, yeah. you know, whether you pray to a God or you believe in a God or you don't believe in a God or, or, or whatever role some sort of celestial being, higher power, whatever you want to call it, whatever role that reality plays in your life, however you found the world, you know, over the course of a day, month, year, lifetime, try to leave the world in a little bit more of a fashion that appeals to that being than the way you found it. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Remember our website, IamSaltLake.com. Head on over there, listen to some of the back episodes of the podcast. You can share share them with your family and friends on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, however you guys do it these days. And if you're looking to buy or sell a home here in Salt Lake City, I'd love to help you. Shoot me a text. Give me a call. 801-244-2908. I'd love to help you find your dream home. ChrisHollifieldRealty.com is the website. Head on over there. You all have a great week. Get out and enjoy the city. Support local, and we'll see you next week on the next episode of I Am Salt Lake Podcast.